0: Welcome to Access Utah, I'm Tom Williams, very pleased to be joined today on this special member drive edition of Access Utah by uh, Dr. Craig Jessup, who uh, until recently was Dean of the uh, College of Human- uh, College of the Arts, Kane College of the Arts, now Dr. Jessup, um, Professor of Choral Conducting, is that your title now? That's correct, yes
1: and loving being back in the classroom where mm-hmm. I started 45 years ago when I thought my entire life would be teaching, uh, and specifically choral music, and I've had a wonderful journey, but it's wonderful to go back, and I'm loving being working with this marvelous these marvelous young people. Plus, we've started a brand new degree, a master's degree in choral conducting, and this is our first semester, we have our first cohort of two outstanding young conductors pursuing their master's degree. So it's very exciting for us.
0: Yeah. Maybe you could start there. Um, what makes a good conductor, especially a choral conductor? You've you've sung under some of the best, right? Robert Shaw being I have. one. I Yeah. Uh, I
1: think, first of all, the word passion, a passion for the art form of choral music. And then an equal passion for people. Because this art form doesn't happen without people. And particularly in the choral music uh, realm Maria. most of our choirs in this nation are amateur volunteer singers. We have some professional choirs and they're excellent but they are the minority. The vast majority of Singers of America are amateur volunteers. And you have to really love people and have a willingness to take them where they are and work with them. And you can achieve some amazing results when people have the passion and amateur amore. It comes from the root word love, who are there for the love of it. And it it also builds wonderful community. Uh, so, if you have those things, uh, I think that's the foundation of being a successful choral director.
0: Mm. Uh, tell me about Robert Shaw, maybe uh, most, uh,
1: most famous. Yeah. Uh, choral well, talk about passion. Heard. Passion for the art stream, uh, art form, like I've never seen before. Um, I don't know that there has ever been, nor do I know if there will ever be, in an American choral conductor of his stature. He, he is totally unique and was recognized in his own lifetime, uh, including the National Medal of Arts from the President of the United States, the Kennedy Center Honors, first time ever in the history of Kennedy Center Honors a conductor, a choral conductor primarily, had received this award. I say he had one foot in heaven and one foot in hell. <laughs> he could take you to the highest heights like you'd never been before. And he also, uh, he he had, I, I hate to use the word dark side, but he also had some angst and um I shared the passion that he did, but if there were singers in the group that didn't were not as focused, um, they could be made feel a little uncomfortable. Mm. Uh, and they either came around to his way or they looked for another choir to sing in. <laughs> Those were very few. Uh, I just don't know of anyone like him, and I've never seen anyone study their scores harder. Uh, mark their scores assiduously. It's exhausting to look at his markings in his scores. Uh, he knew the score inside and out. He was faithful in every way to the composer, to the intent of the composer. He tried so hard not to impose his own feeling, but tried to elicit where was the composer coming from. So I, he was not only musician, conductor, but he was theologian, he was philosopher, he was satirist, he was pundit, he was uh, everything you can imagine all rolled into one, and he would take a piece of music and bring it alive in a way that I've never known mm. anyone else to do.
0: Now imagine a uh, conductor's got to have a good ear, right?
1: Got to have a good ear. You know, yes. for, yes.
0: you know what you're going for, and you got to know when you got it, right? That's right. And a conductor has to have
1: in his mind before they ever step into a rehearsal what we call an oral concept. What should it sound like? And is it rooted in the truth, he would say. The truth is in the score. And realizing what happens on that score. What was the composer's intent? But it also has to have a historical context and a correct performance practice. So a a wonderful motet of, say, uh, Josquin should not sound like a motet of Johannes Brahms. There's a, it, it comes from a totally different time, and yet they share this common uh, form, at least root form, of the composition. Shaw was a master of that. Didn't matter whether it was Renaissance, Baroque, classic, romantic, 20th century. He always knew the setting— he was a great, uh, had a great love of French music and was a personal friend of Poulenc and premiered many of the works. For example, the Poulenc Gloria, he was passionate about that. And he knew that sound, that 20th century French sound, was fantastic.
0: Hmm. Imagine a good conductor has to be a good communicator, right? Has, yes. The, 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 these are musical—you have in your ear— You have in your head what the sound should sound like. Right. you got to communicate that to get your choir to get there, right?
1: That's correct. You first of all have to know what you want, and then the ability to teach it and inform your singers and solicit that that from them. And I think a conductor is first and foremost a teacher, that that's a big part of what you do. Yeah. Uh, Especially in choral singing as – I've said before, many of them are amateur volunteer singers who are there because they love to sing, but their experience may be limited uh, musically, uh, in vocal performance, and in the repertoire they're doing, in the languages they're doing it in. So yeah, you have to have the ability to teach and communicate and to lead them along and not discourage them. I think of so many times, having just mentioned the Pulent Gloria, when I brought it to the choir, we did it, I don't know, maybe five, ten years ago. And I said, now, at first you're going to say, what is this? And you're going to, it'll take a minute, but trust me, just trust me, hang in there. Because when you get it, you'll say, that was my favorite piece of music I've ever done. I've used those words constantly, (laughs) almost every year, uh, when we introduce a new piece, it's gaining their trust and bringing them along.
0: Tell me about that moment when it when it happens, right? When you when you when it, what's in your head matches up with what you're hearing.
1: The aha moment. The aha moment. It, yes. Well,
0: I always tell the choir it's my
1: drug of choice. It's it's just this wonderful high, and it's hard to explain in in many ways because when all the elements, when all the very desperate disparate not desperate. Sometimes it's desperate. The, the disparate uh, disciplines of choral singing come together at the very basic root of it all. Are the pitches correct? Are the rhythms correct? Are the dynamics correct? Is the phrasing correct? Are the languages correct? Uh, when that all comes together and then you feel it become literally this living presence that is being created right before your eyes, you're reminded why you went into this profession. And when you get perfect intonation and everything lines up, and and only and within the choir, not only you're hearing the, the notes they're singing, but the overtones, I always say that's God's gift to choirs for singing in tune. The overtones start generating. It's like you're connected with the entire universe.
0: That's wonderful. Um, I want to transition to talk about singers. Yes. So you've been a singer in a choir, you know. You, yes. You were in the Robert Shaw Chorale. Yes. By the way, parenthetically, how do you—is it audition process? You, yes. You, yeah. You, 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 you say, you, I want to be in the Robert Shaw Chorale.
1: Yes. Mine was a little different than the traditional method, but yes, you auditioned for the Robert Shaw Festival Singers. You submitted a tape uh, to the choir manager, who at that time was Maurice Casey, Dr. Maurice Casey. Director of Choral Activities at The Ohio State University. Uh, And then he would select the singers he felt he knew what Mr. Shaw was looking for. In my case, uh, I attended a workshop Mr. Shaw gave in Atlanta on the Elijah. And while I was commander of the Air Force Band of Europe, I was back in the United States for a few days, and I was able to take this workshop. And following the workshop— I went up to and introduced myself to him. This would have been about, I don't know, about 1986, 87. Um, and I said, Mr. Shaw, I know you have a festival in France. Uh, I, I'm commander of the Air Force Band of Europe. If you ever need winds, brass, or percussion, let me know, we could support you. And I, I felt, he said, oh, well, that's really good to know. Thanks very much <laughs> for letting me know. It's like a pat on the head. and. <laughs> You know, I never thought. About six months later, I got a call. My wife called me and said, I was at work. She was at home. She said, sit down. He said, you won't believe who called you. And I said, who? And he said, she said, Robert Shaw. He's in Paris and he'd like to meet with you. He'd like you to call him. So I called him and he said, were you serious (laughs) about winds and brass? I said, yes. So he said, could you meet me in the morning in Paris? So Renee and I took the night train to Paris from Kaiserslautern, met him and his wife the next morning, and he said, "I want to, next summer I wanna do the B minor Mass of Bach, and I've got the strings from Ohio State. Um, how do we get the winds and brass? And I said, you request them through the United States Ambassador to France, and they'll be yours. So we furnished two flutes, two oboes, two bassoons, three trumpets, and a timpani. And then he said to me, what can I do for you? I said, Mr. Shah, the only thing I want to do is sing in your choir. And he said, do you sing? And I said, yes, I'm a singer. And he said, okay. So the following summer, the first thing you do, there are 60 singers. Every one of them has to go sing solo for him. And when I went in to sing... Uh, he, he was very kind, but he put his head down like he was in prayer. <laughs> and I had, I had uh, borrowed some music because I didn't know you had to do that. And it was Von Williams' uh, Easter, Rise, Heart, Thy Lord Has Risen from his five mystical songs. I sang. He sat up. He looked up. He smiled. He, and when I was all done, he says, by golly, you're a singer, aren't you? And I said, yes, I told you I was a singer. And that started 10 years, 10 consecutive years, up until he died that I sang in the Robert Shaw Festival Singers. It was, it was incredible. It was absolute choral heaven. We'd do the festivals in France in the months of July. You would, it'd culminate by making two recordings for Telarc. And then you'd have a week in January at Carnegie Hall where the 60 festival singers would combine with 60 other singers uh, for a choir of 120 and do a major work like Elijah of Mendelssohn or the Verdi Requiem or the Benjamin Britten War Requiem. It was an unbelievable experience.
0: I, I was reading on Wikipedia. Always have to take a grain of salt. But uh, yes, you've sung with a, a group with John Rutter. I did. I I went with. uh, I took a the Coral
1: Cambridge seminar in um, Cambridge, where he had been the choir director at Clare College for many years, just adjacent to King's College, and had an incredible experience with him that summer. It was just a two-week experience, but the opportunity to sing with Rutter, also one of the world's great composers but conductors but so different from Shaw and that gave me a revelation and I've said it to classes there are many roads to choral heaven there's not just one way and what it takes most of all is an ear that you can hear and correct things that are wrong uh, and the understanding the gesture itself it's very important the stick technique as they call it But if the conductor doesn't have an ear and a sense of style of what they want to do, it doesn't matter how beautiful your stick technique is. uh, It's not going to happen. Yeah, Rudder was great. And another one was Helmut Rilling in Stuttgart. He was the music director, conductor of the Oregon Bach Festival, of which I sang in two summers with him as well at the Oregon Bach Festival. Another genius man and... Everything from memory, totally different from Rudder, totally different from Shaw, and totally amazing as well. So I'm glad I had those experiences.
0: There are many others as well. We'll get back to singers. Yes. I, I took us on a, on a side trip, uh, maybe after a break. So we'll be heading to break here, and um, probably the most important thing we're doing today Aside from the scintillating conversation, which we always have with you, uh, Craig Jessup is uh, raising some money for uh, Utah Public Radio. Yes. W- why should, uh, you and your wife are members of UPR, thank you, w- why should uh, fellow listeners join you? It's it's called quality of life. UPR gives us quality
1: of life in our daily journey to work to and from, which is when I listen to UPR all of the time. I've had many garage moments where I could not leave the car till I finished what UPR was presenting at that moment and uh, what it gives to the community and how it highlights the diversity of the community. We're sometimes so isolated in our own little bubble. We have no idea what else is going on in our community. And I find UPR so wonderful in showing us locally what's here within the Logan area and Cache Valley, but around the state of Utah, as UPR is the radio station for the entire state of Utah, we're so fortunate. So yes, I'm passionate about U- Utah Public Radio, and I, as I always do when I have this opportunity to be with you two, I put out the challenge to every member of the American Festival Chorus and Orchestra. To donate and contribute, Renee and I, when I leave today, Tom, we're leaving one hundred and fifty dollars. And thank you. I challenge uh, all of our members and all of our patrons to contribute whatever they can. Uh, match ours, but if if it only five dollars, everything counts towards sustaining this wonderful
0: treasure we have, Utah Public Radio. Well, thank you for your, uh, your and Renee's uh, uh, membership, and uh, yeah, we'll put out that challenge. Do that. If you're part of the American Festival Chorus or Orchestra, you've heard the challenge, so so here's here's the time to do that. And here's how to do that. Uh, you can go to our website, upr.org, upr.org. Once again, that's upr.org. You could go uh, on our UPR app, Utah Public Radio app. And uh, for morning time, uh, here's the phone number, not for the evening, but for the morning, 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495, that's 800-826-1495. Utah Public Radio is listener-supported, and uh, so your pledge right now has a great impact. Not everybody, you've heard us say this, not every listener Uh, Pledges. Not every listener becomes a member of Utah Public Radio, so it's a very, very important uh, step, and we hope that you'll either renew that or become a new member of Utah Public Radio, and it's a fast and easy process, just a couple of minutes uh, out of your day. UPR.org is the place to go, UPR.org. You uh, click on the pledge form. Uh, It'll ask for some basic information, how much you'd like to pledge, how much you'd like to take care, uh, how much you'd like to give. And uh, you can see a bunch of thank you gifts there as well. Utah Public Radio connects you with the world, as Dr. Jessup just said there. And uh, we connect uh, with each other as well in this important Utah Public Radio community. And we hope that you will support this kind of programming. Uh, everything uh, from, uh, it's compelling stories, really. That's, that's, what, that's what I tune in for and what we try to present here on Utah Public Radio. Uh, stories like the 43 disappeared students in Mexico from last week all the way to uh, how Dr. Jessup got connected with Robert Shaw (laughs) uh, that we heard today. Um, uh, The full gamut, connecting you with the world. We hope that that's worth supporting. If you agree, here are the the contact points. Uh, If it's it's morning, I have to explain that because we do repeat this program in the evening, so (laughs) we don't have anybody here to answer the phone in the evening. So morning time, 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. Anytime, upr.org, upr.org. And a big thank you to you.
1: Support for Utah Public Radio comes from listeners like you and Silicon Slopes Magazine, a hub of Utah startups, business, and tech contributing articles and insights from the Utah community. Information on advertising in print and digital
0: versions at siliconslopesmagazine.com. Did you know that the words lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender are used very infrequently, if at all, in state social studies guidelines across the nation? The exclusion of LGBTQ individuals' issues and social movements in social studies teaching guidelines has significant implications for students who identify as LGBTQ or other marginalized groups. Researchers in social studies education are working to create more inclusive standards to contribute to a learning atmosphere where all voices and perspectives are valued. Inclusive guidelines support curriculum and instruction that benefits students' physical, mental, and academic health. This segment of Did You Know That has been brought to you by our members and the Emma Eccles-Jones College of Education and Human Services. Committed to mentoring tomorrow's educators, researchers, and clinicians, located on campuses in Logan and 26 other sites throughout Utah. You're listening to Access Utah I'm Tom Williams. We're back with Craig Jessup. He is a professor of choral conducting, uh, recent. Until recently, Dean of the College uh, Kane College of the Arts. Uh, and, uh, of course, I neglected the beginning of the first segment to reference you as the music director of the American Festival Chorus and Orchestra. So, um, uh, have that uh, going on as well. Maybe we could uh, start this segment by making reference to that. You um, did some very creative things during, during the height of COVID. Now, uh, back to in-person concerts? Oh, yes, we are. In fact,
1: Tom our first concerts i i wish i could say post covid because it's we're still in it but uh, we gave a benefit concert for the utah festival opera this pop- summer as part of their season we've partnered for them with them for over 10 years every season we've the american festival of horses combined with the utah festival opera orchestra and their soloists and presented major works. And this year, as a fundraiser for them, we donated all of our time and energy and presented the Mozart Requiem. We had an anonymous donor who contributed the money for the orchestra and the soloists. And uh, Wendy Hassan, who's director of the Cache Valley Center for the Arts, had an anonymous donor or donors who contributed the building And the crew who maintained the building and together Wendy and I were able to pull off a performance uh, as a benefit for Utah Festival Opera of which we were able to raise over $25,000. Every cent of every ticket went to the Utah Festival Opera Musical Theater of which we were enormously grateful to. Have that opportunity to them because the arts have been devastated by COVID, uh, and still it's uh, we're still not back to where we were before. I'm confident we will be, but it's it is taking longer than we thought. But we were able <clears throat> to all. To, uh, I, it was a smaller choir of 75. Was just right, and uh, it was magnificent. It was emotional. Uh, I have done the Mozart Requiem many times, but this particular performance will stand out in my mind because of the circumstances out of which it came. And we dedicated this not only to Utah Festival Opera, but to all of the members of our great state who have lost their lives to COVID. It was done as a memorial to them. And, uh, it, it was very meaningful for all of us. We had an outstanding audience in the Ellen Eccles Theater. It was on July 10th. And now we're back. We've started our rehearsals Wednesday night, September 1st. And, you know, we've, I've got about 180 singers. We're rehearsing with our masks on. Everyone is vaccinated who sings we are singing in the Danes Concert Hall. I've got all of the men up on the stage in chairs, the women down in the halls, all of us socially distanced. And Kevin Olson and I, the, our accompanists, are dead center of it all. And uh, we've had, a, we'd last night, a two-and-a-half-hour rehearsal getting ready for our opening concert of the season, October 9th, in the Danes Concert Hall, 7.30 p.m., in a concert called We're Back. It's kind of an everything in the kitchen sink Mm -hmm. concert.
0: So you're back. We're back. (laughs) That's wonderful. So Kurt Bester, cast children's choir, right? That's right. Yeah. Uh, So it should be fun. fun It'll be a a
1: great evening. It goes everywhere from Carmina Burana, the opening chorus O Fortuna, uh, the Dies Irae from the Verdi Requiem, to sing from Sesame Street. Or, Come Thou Found of Every Blessing of Mac Wilberg. We had the choir vote on what we would do. We we sent out a list of everything we've sung for the last 14 years, and they got to vote on what their favorites were. And so we took the top uh, selections, and the, the choir programmed this one. And I think it will reflect audience favorites as well.
0: I was going to ask you about audience. You said a very special uh, evening with the Mozart Requiem. Uh-huh. Uh, part of that, you know, first time back after a long time. Right. Um, memorial for right. COVID uh, victims. Does the audience make a difference? Does, oh, you know, the different, absolutely. Different feeling in the house. Does that affect the performance? Oh, absolutely. There, there's a, for want of a better
1: word, it's, a, it's communion. There is a sense of community and oneness that is so powerful. And over the years of my conducting, you have a sense of what's going on behind you. You can feel the presence of the audience. You can feel if they're attentive and with you, or you can feel if they're distracted in any way. And there's no question those people were with us. You could have heard a pin drop, less about an hour, and... The whole hour was like, it was a religious, sacred experience. And the most profoundly beautiful music, it's, you know, 300 years old. It's just astounding. And like it was written yesterday, hmm. this is alive and vital and meaningful. And it has such a romantic story behind it, its mm-hmm. composition anyway. Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. That leads me into asking about um, what music does. What does music do for, You know, for you, for
1: us? Well, I think music is—I I call it the most invasive of the arts, but I use the word in a positive way. It goes right to the emotional core, intellectual, spiritual of who we are and it can elicit feelings and responses that cannot be put into words. It's beyond words. It's impressions, it's feelings, it's emotions, and they can be positive or negative, but it, it always has, music is always known to have a powerful effect upon the emotional and intellectual mind of of humankind, and it's no different today. Um, I I've often said and voiced that my portal to the infinite, to God, the the surefire, never fail, is through music. For me, it can go to areas and bring in feelings of calm and peace and solace like nothing else and opens the door to other places as well. Uh, I'd said it earlier, it improves the quality of life. Uh, it's sometimes human life can be challenging and discouraging and music can take you to other places and give you hope and uh, inspiration. I, we've just finished 9-11. And during that time when 9-11 happened was when I was director of the Tabernacle Choir. We were to have performed that night for a conference convention in Salt Lake City in the Tabernacle of insurance underwriters, national convention. We'd rehearsed on Tuesday. Our program was all ready. We were to perform on Thursday. That morning as the events unfolded, was like, what are we going to do? Are we, we, maybe we'll cancel the concert. So the president of the choir, who at the time was Mack Christensen, Mr. Mack, uh, I called him and asked him, and he said, I'll call President Hinckley. And we were asked, could we do a memorial concert? Could we alter our concert? And of course, yes. So we changed it, and we were there. The tabernacle was packed, it turned into a memorial with an opening prayer, greeting by President Hinckley, asking for no applause. Uh, in the programming, I had opted not to do the battle hymn of the republic, uh, and I had told President Hinckley that, and he said, "I think that's wise." So, uh, as I recall, we finished our concert with "America the Beautiful," and. And people just wouldn't leave. It was the oddest thing. There was no applause. But when it was over, no one would leave. And President Hinckley motioned to me to come over to him. And then he said, sing the battle hymn. Mm. And so we sang the battle hymn. And when it was over, my gosh, the emotion that went through that crowd. You could not have stopped them from shouting and clapping and tears running and streaming down their feet it, it, or down their face. I, it, it was one of those moments in life I will never forget. We needed one another. We needed to stand together and be reminded of what are the things that mean the most to us, our family, our friends, our faith, our community, our country. And that just seemed to heal in the most marvelous way.
0: What what music can do, right? The, for the, the power yeah. of
1: music yeah. was able to uh, help us work through the horrible scenes we have seen all day, the unbelievable grief that was—it helped us through that really difficult moment and say— we can go through this. We we will survive this, as horrible as it was. Mm. Yeah, I, I'll never forget every nine eleven. I think of that experience, and as difficult as it was, I'm grateful that we were there to help uh, relieve that. As I recall, they broadcasted it as well throughout Utah.
0: Anyway, yeah. Let's take another break. Um, when we come back, I want to ask you about some some other big events. You've, I think you were at, sure, did a performance at the uh, fall of the Berlin Wall, kind of a, thing that's right, a, as well. Yeah. Um, so as we go out to break, um, this uh, this time around, the theme of our member drive is UPR has got you covered, and we've got you covered with music as well. We do music programs here on Access Utah. Uh, we have uh, classical music in the evenings, and we have a whole channel devoted to classical music. Thank you. Our HD2. Um, and uh, Craig Jessup, uh, why should we support this? Again, it speaks to quality of life and uh, expanding
1: our horizons. And yes, it entertaining, uh, inspiring, uh, educating, music does all of those things simultaneously. And UPR has been the vehicle for decades in bringing this. I remember listening to classical music on UPR as a boy in Millville mm. when I was in high school. Mm. And in some ways it was the only classical music that was available in many ways uh, only through, I think it was called U K U S U then, not I don't know if Utah Public Radio existed right.
0: then. Right. Uh, yeah, we didn't call ourselves that at uh, that point. Right. Part,
1: yeah. But nevertheless, it was your uh, predecessors who
0: who did that. Probably from this same building as well. Yeah, it might might well have been. Yeah, that's very true. Um, so uh, the, here's the way to support that. Um, and again, uh, Greg Jessup has issued a challenge. We, I've,
1: Renee, and my wife and I have issued a challenge We're... Contributing 150 today, which isn't a great amount, uh, it's all much appreciated. Th- we're we're challenging every member of the American Festival Chorus and Orchestra to do the same. Any amount, any amount they could give. I sh- I'm sure Tom, you would agree. Whether it's five dollars or five hundred or five thousand, all contributions are welcomed too. So I put out the challenge to my colleagues in the American Festival Chorus and Orchestra, as well as our colleagues in the King College of the Arts and everyone involved in the arts, uh,
0: join with us in supporting Utah Public Radio. Here's how to do that. Uh, UPR.org, UPR.org, that's UPR.org, our website. Click on the pledge form, and you have all the information there, including the thank-you gifts. Uh, And uh, in the morning time, not the evening, you can call 800-826-1495. 800-826-1495. That's 800-826-1495. Also, you can pledge on our UPR app. And uh, don't forget that challenge from uh, Craig and Renee Jessup. They're challenging uh, all members, uh, past and present and future, I suppose, of American Festival Chorus and Orchestra. Or uh, perhaps you've attended one of the performances. Uh, You could join this uh, challenge and then let Dr. Jessup know next time you see him that you picked up his challenge. And, of course, all that uh, support comes to Utah Public Radio. And here's a great incentive. We're offering an incentive for all our theater junkies and fans of the Moth Radio Hour. The Moth Main Stage, it's a live event version of the radio program you know and love, is coming to Logan on October 21st. So you can go and see The Moth live. Uh, That's at the Ellen Eccles Theater. And we're offering a pair of tickets to the show. And you can claim a pair of tickets right now with a gift of $240 or $20 a month. So if you can come in at that level and you love The Moth, come and see The Moth live in Logan on October 21st at the Ellen Eccles Theater. The Moth is true stories told live without notes. And this is your opportunity to experience it in person. Uh, Just a note, at request of artist management, the show does require a mask and either a negative COVID-19 test or full vaccination. You can get information on that uh, by going to casharts.org slash the moth. So that's a great opportunity. If you love the moth, here's a pair of tickets to this live event in Logan, Ellen Eccles Theater, uh, for a gift of $20 a month. And I hope you'll take advantage of that. Uh, Limited numbers of these, just limited numbers. And so this offer lasts only while those tickets last. Once again, UPR.org, UPR.org, or in the morning time, 800-826-1495. We'll have more following this. This is Ag Matters. It's estimated that more than six out of every ten known infectious diseases in people can be spread from animals, and that three out of every four new or emerging infectious diseases in people come from animals. Scientists in Utah State University's Department of Animal, Dairy, and Veterinary Sciences and the USU School of Veterinary Medicine study and teach concepts of One Health a cross-disciplinary approach to achieving optimal health for people, animals, and our shared environment. Working across disciplines is crucial as people move into areas that previously were wildlife habitat and as climate change alters the environmental boundaries of where insects and wildlife can survive. This has been Ag Matters from the College of Agriculture and Applied Sciences at Utah State University. You're listening to Access Utah, I'm Tom Williams, and we're with uh, Craig Jessup. He is uh, former music director of the Tabernacle Choir at uh, Temple Square. He is a uh, former dean of the Kane College of the Arts, currently a uh, professor of uh, choral conducting at Utah State University, and he is continuing as music director of the American Festival Chorus and Orchestra. Um, and next concert, October 9th. October the 9th, yeah. it- entitled We're Back. We're back, <laughs> and wonderful, wonderful to have you back um i've promised this for a while now i want to get to this um not let it drop so um i was just tooling around your website americanfestivalchorus.org and uh, pull up uh, the uh, application to audition and it was interesting to me to uh at the bottom you have um the the kind of the checklist of what the evaluator is going to evaluate you if you audition for for the choir right so I wonder if we could uh, use this to talk about what makes a good singer and how you select that. And probably maybe different in the choir versus a soloist. I don't know, but uh, um, so the the there are four four areas uh, to evaluate. One is vocal timbre, right? Going from a flute to reed, right? Uh, tell me about that. Well, every human voice has this color to
1: it, and some are more like a flute. It's light and clear. And, and for want of a better word, airy. Or it can be reedy, like a bassoon or a clarinet. And uh, you need both in your choir. And I have, if you'll see, there's a line. Yes. And I simply put an X. Is it nearer or a flute? Is it nearer or a reed? Yeah. Or is it right in the middle? Yeah. Then I know what the color of this voice is. And then I try, if I can, to seat similar voices together. Mm. It's difficult sometimes for a singer who is a flute to be uh, placed in the middle of reeds. They just feel overwhelmed. So I try and make the colors, a spectrum of color, where they're they're more uh, aligned with one another in their, in their vocal color. Yeah, interesting. And then also, uh, and I don't think it says
0: this on the form. It, does it say large or small? Uh, uh, vocal size? Yeah. Yeah, it, it goes from minnow to whale. That's that the, r- okay, it does say yeah.
1: minnow to whale. <laughs> so are you a tiny little fish in a great big ocean with a beautiful voice that probably is a flute, or are you a, a whale and a huge voice uh, in this sea of sound? Then I, have a, then I can remember, just by looking color and size, uh, what that voice is like.
0: As long as good voice, I guess it could be small. It's fine. You still Absolutely. Them, or, and,
1: or large. Yeah, yeah. In fact, the smaller voices, the clearer voices you want for early music, for your Renaissance motets or your bar- Baroque uh, cantatas, you'd need the, the larger voices that are terrific for a Verdi Requiem, are sometimes not so good for a Bach cantata. Hmm, Interesting. The the next uh, evaluation is vibrato. Vibrato, yeah. Do Do you have a vibrato? If you do, is it wide or narrow? Can it be varied? Can you speed it up? Can you slow it down? Or is it a constant like a Hammond organ, like an old Hammond organ? Yeah. And the last one is pitch. Yes. Are you right, exactly spot on pitch? Is your tendency to be on the sharp side of the pitch? Is your tendency to be on the flat side of the pitch? And of
0: course, we're looking for the singer that is spot on. Mm. And elsewhere in the application, uh, you you ask, uh, can you sight read? Yes. You want that, right? And we always
1: give a melody. It's a simple diatonic melody for them to sight read
0: a cappella. And uh, the, can you memorize music? I guess you, yes. you you want them to be able to memorize. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, by the way, uh, quite often during performances, I'll see you pointing up or down. I have the idea that's pitch. Is that pitch? That's pitch. Yeah. And you're number one. Yeah. Oh, you're number one. Okay. Very good. <laughs> Very good. Uh, I wanted to ask you about uh, some superlatives. So... so favorite events that you've, you've been at? One that we made reference to is uh, the, the Berlin Wall. I imagine yeah, that's probably on yeah, your list. Yeah. I, I was commander of the Air Force Band of
1: Europe at Ramstein Air Force Base from 1987 to 1991, which is when the Berlin Wall fell. I think it was announced like November of 89. And I was on a concert tour with the band in Brussels, Belgium, When they stopped the concert to announce that the Berlin Wall had fallen, and the audience, of course, were all Belgians, and they just stood and shouted uh, with happiness and tears and unforgettable moment. And then immediately after that, the Air Force Band started touring even more intensely around Europe as goodwill ambassadors of the United States and in celebration of this great event including several ceremonies in Berlin at various locations. We would either take the troop train from Frankfurt to Berlin, or we would fly from Ramstein to Tempelhof in Berlin. And I have literally chopped—I've got hunks of the wall in uh, my souvenir boxes and stretches of barbed wire uh, from those times. It was—it was— an unbelievable time. We sang at uh, Pilsen, Czechoslovakia, where they were allowed to celebrate for the first time in 45 years the liberation of uh, Pilsen by the Allies, by the Americans specifically, where before, the year before, they'd put out a flag and they were imprisoned. And when we arrived in the city of Pilsen, every house, every window had an American flag. And Shirley Temple Black was the ambassador to Czechoslovakia. Václav Havel was the president. They spoke at a ceremony. We played—I remember the Czech Army Band played the Czech and Slovakian national anthems, and they just stood and tears, just streamed down their eyes in absolute silence. And then we played the American anthem, and they just roared with cheers. It was— an unbelievable time, and then uh, Shirley Temple Black hosted a reception at her uh, place, and we were invited to that, and it was—I it was, kept pinching myself. Am I here? We played for the reunification ceremony of Germany. Uh, this would have been about October of 90, I think, and there in Mainz, Germany— and there's President Bush Sr. and uh, President Helmut Kohl and the United States Air Force Band on this stage with ambassadors and every four-star general in Europe. And and we were there right at the center of it. I I had to pinch myself there.
0: Um most memorable guest performers, either with Tabernacle Choir or American Festival Chorus. Or...
1: Guest artists? Gu- guest artists, yes. Oh, my gosh. Uh, during my singing, singing Sergeant's Days, we'd had a guest artist series every Sunday afternoon at Constitution Hall right on the mall in uh, Washington, D.C. And w- one of the most famous or wonderful times for me is when we had the entire cast of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood come. Mr. Roger was there. My children were just that perfect age. He met each one of them. I've got the cutest pictures of him kneeling down to greet my children and them looking at him in the most sweet way. And then another time we had, a uh, following year, we had all of the Muppets from Sesame Street, Oster the Grouch, Big Bird, and We had—those were incredible memories. Of course, we had other people like Roberta Peters, the opera star, Victor Borga, uh, another wonderful comedian, pianist. Uh, In the Tabernacle Choir years, I have to say, Angela Lansbury Hmm. goes down as one of the most incredible, not only artists, but persons I've ever met. Uh, The first year that the Conference Center opened— I tried to get her and she turned us down. The second year I tried again, she turned us down again. And then 9-11 happened. Mm-hmm. And about two weeks after 9-11, I got a phone call and uh, I heard this voice say, Is this Dr. Jessup. And I knew uh, this was Jessica Fletcher. This was uh, the great Angela Ansperry and I said, Miss Lansbury. And she said, did you receive my letter? I said, yes. And we're so disappointed. She said, would you do me a very great favor? Would you tear it up? And I said, with great pleasure. She said, I wanted to come last year, but what would I do? I'm not a singer. I'm an actress who sings. I said, oh, I disagree, Miss Lansbury. You're a marvelous singer. And again, she said, what would I do? I said, well, how do? How about we start, this was for the Christmas concerts, We Need a Little Christmas from Mame. I think you got a Tony for that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I guess, you know, I guess I could do that. And I said, how about Nothing's Gonna Harm You from Sweeney Todd? She said, well, do you think they would like that? I said, you got a Tony for that too, didn't you? <laughs> and she said, well, yeah, I could do that. How about Beauty and the Beast from the Disney uh animated movie, The Beauty and the Beast, I think it got an Academy Award. Well, I guess I could do those things. She was unbelievable. Most of the artists would come in Wednesday, sometimes on Thursday, just before the dress rehearsal, which is a public dress rehearsal. She came in on Monday. She rehearsed Tuesday, Wednesday, Wednesday she just worked there's a reason that woman is still going strong today i think she's in her 90s now and and there are so many others tom as well but that was such a special uh privilege for me to to work with this great great lady
0: i hmm. was oh, just about out of time uh i want to get this in though we uh last year we did a fun program i had you prepare what we called a pandemic playlist with yes. some favorite pieces or yes. maybe appropriate pieces to kinda of get us through the height of the pandemic. <laughs> yes. And you came up with a great uh, list, included Bach and Rakhmanov, Bond Williams, uh uh Tony Bennett's uh, Barbara Streisand yes uh, Moses Hogan yes, Peral, yes. And Water. yes, yes. So a very uh, a varied and a very nice uh, program. I do that's got me thinking uh you know now a year later uh, or maybe all time. What, uh, are, are there some pieces that, uh, that just uh, stick with you? Just uh, if you were to clutch, uh, run from a burning building with a few pieces, uh, what, uh, what are some favorites? Well,
1: today it's the Duraflay Requiem, Maurice Duraflay, and we're doing that requiem. It's been postponed twice now, and we'll do it in March. It's just a marvelous. It's based on medieval plain chant, but in a 20th century harmonic language uh, he was a French organist, uh, and it's absolutely sublime, and we'll do that uh, in collaboration with a visiting guest organist, Bradley Welch, from Dallas, Texas. We'll combine that with the uh, Joseph Young and Symphonie Concertante for organ and orchestra, and it's just thrilling, and uh, Bradley Welch is a rising star. He's the Richard Elliot of... A younger generation. He's a, just a phenomenal performer. But today, my Desert Island piece would be the Duraflay Requiem.
0: Very hmm. good. By the way, is is there a difference between what you like to listen to versus what you like to perform? Or is it pretty much the same?
1: Uh, pretty much the same, hmm. I would guess. Although, you know, I have my moments when I love to listen to James Taylor. So, yeah. you know, I, I've got a pretty eclectic, taste yeah and a lot of it is music i could never perform but i love to listen to
0: yeah yeah um well we have reached the end of our time here and uh, before we go out um for the end of the hour uh, another appeal to to fellow listeners you uh you and renee are members thank you so much uh why should people join you in uh, becoming members of upr we're part of a community And we can do so much more together than we
1: can do alone. So none of us individually could support what it costs to bring Utah Public Radio to the public. But if we each do our part, if we all link arms and hands together, we can continue to create this – keep this great treasure in our community. So, yeah, it might be impossible – an individual to bring in $50,000 or $100,000. But individual contributions add up, and then it makes it possible. So join hands with us, and uh, please contribute to Utah Public Radio to keep this important treasure, cultural, informational, educational treasure, alive in our
0: community. And you've issued a challenge. Maybe we can say $150 that one more
1: time. from Craig and Renee Jessup. And I've issued the challenge to members of the American Festival Chorus and Orchestra to join us in con- contributing and match our contribution. But if you can do more, do more. If you can't do that, don't worry about it. Do something, though, because every cent counts.
0: Well, Craig Jessup, a pleasure as always. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Here's how to uh, contribute. Uh, UPR.org, UPR.org is the place to go, UPR.org, and uh, 800-826-1495 if it's the morning time, 800-826-1495, or you can go to our UPR app, UPR.org, UPR.org. And I hope you'll take up this challenge from Craig and Renee Jessup. They uh, are renewing their membership and inviting you to come along with them and uh, supporting Utah Public Radio, and specifically Access Utah. I uh, hope that you will do that. Uh, this is a special incentive. I want to throw this out here as well. There are limited numbers of tickets, but uh, you may have heard us saying that the Moth Radio Hour is coming to, or rather the Moth Main Stage, and that's what Moth Radio Hour is based on, the Moth Main Stage live event uh, version of the radio program you know and love is coming to Logan. October 21st, Ellen Echoes Theater, and you can get a pair of tickets to the show with your uh, pledge of support, your contribution to Utah Public Radio. So do double duty. Maybe you're going to go to the Moth anyway. This is a great opportunity for you. If you love the Moth Radio Hour, well, send that uh, money to Utah Public Radio and uh, go to the events as well. So you can claim a pair of tickets right now while supplies last uh, with a gift of $240 or $20 a month. So uh, the moth, as you know, is true stories told live without notes. This is your opportunity to experience it in person October 21st in Logan, Ellen Eccles Theater, and you can get tickets right now with your gift to Utah Public Radio of $20 a month and uh, supplies of those tickets are limited, so act now and support Utah Public Radio. UPR.org is the place to go, UPR.org, and thank you. Support for Utah Public Radio comes from our members and Spirit Goat Soap, celebrating summer with a variety of gift sets made
1: with handcrafted soaps, balms, and bath products, with options for all skin types, including
0: sensitive skin. Located at 28 Federal Avenue in Logan, information at spiritgoat.com. This is Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSUFM Logan, and upr.org. Hi, I'm Franco Ordonez, White House.